Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. I want to speak on, I want to preach on a revival of righteousness. God bless you. Please be seated. Amen. For the last several weeks, as I look forward to this weekend and what I would write about in the July Messenger, our church newsletter, the spiritual state of our country has been heavy on my mind. We need a revival of righteousness in America. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Cannot have a nation that is exalted when the foundation of our nation is crumbling. The home, the church, the government, the definition and distinction of genders, the sanctity of life, and many other cultural and moral issues are at stake. If we want our nation to be exalted, then we must pray against the wickedness in our nation. We must take a stand against wickedness in our lives, in our church, in our nation. Today, my mission is to call us to prayer for a revival that is personal, that is national, that changes the direction and trajectory of our country. If you're a born-again believer, having obeyed Acts 2.38, repented, baptized, filled with the Spirit, you were declared righteous by Almighty God when you were born again of water and of Spirit. But being declared righteous is not the same thing as walking in the light of truth and walking in righteousness. If you've been filled with the Spirit, you live in the Spirit, that means you're Spirit-filled. We should also walk in the Spirit, leading a life of godliness and righteousness and holiness. I want to assure you today that what I will preach for the next little while is not a message that is born of anger or hatred, a chip on my shoulder, or the Western cowboys would say, I don't have a burr under my saddle. I have a burden in my heart, and I've had a brokenness in my spirit for the condition of our country. Amen. Today, I want to remind you of what the Bible says about the eternal destiny of the wicked. I take no pleasure in the thought of the eternal punishment of wicked people. We know that Jesus Christ came to save people from their sins, but there's another side of what Jesus came to do. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is condemnation. I want you to notice that Jesus came to save. 
But in the same passage of scripture that we talk about the great love of God and the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, there is another side of this for those who reject the gift of life that Jesus came to bring. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. The moral and spiritual state of our society demand a sermon on the righteous and the wicked. I began to study several weeks ago righteousness or the righteous and the wicked in the Bible. And I want us to understand that we need to believe what the Bible says. We need to stand where the Bible stands. And we need to be people who are not compromisers when it comes to convictions and the principles of truth. Amen. You'll only see the need for a revival of righteousness if you're persuaded that there is righteousness and there is wickedness that exists. There are righteous people and there are wicked people. The Bible does not describe a middle ground between these two groups of people. There are the righteous and there are the wicked. And in the Bible, you will not find passages that talk about the big gray area between the righteous and the wicked. There are people in our world right now who are searching for the light of truth. There are also people in our world who are running for the cover of darkness. Righteousness calls us to submission to Almighty God. Wickedness calls us to rebellion against God. Now, as I studied this, I thought it might be helpful to, to share some biblical synonyms of the words righteous and wicked in the Bible. You will see these same contrasts said in words like godly and ungodly, holy and unholy, just and unjust, good and evil, saints and sinners, blessed and cursed, the upright and workers of iniquity, faithful and unfaithful, wise and fools, trusting God and transgressors against God, good and evil, light and darkness. You'll see these contrasting descriptions of the righteous and the wicked throughout the word of God. Ephesians 5 and 8 says, For you were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. In Psalm 1 verse 6, the Bible says, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly or the wicked shall perish. The lives of the righteous and the lives of the wicked are contrasted in the Bible. I was going to include a number of Bible passages contrasting the righteous with the wicked, but the list kept growing. I was working on this message, and after 11 Bible passages and six more pages of notes, I decided it was too much for one message. 
So I want to give you just one example of the righteous and the wicked contrasted in Scripture. Proverbs 11, verses 3 to 11. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless will direct his way aright, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the unfaithful will be caught by their lust. When a wicked man dies, his expectation will perish, and the hope of the unjust perishes. The righteous is delivered from trouble, and it comes to the wicked instead. The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous will be delivered. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices, and when the wicked perish, there is jubilation. By the blessings of the upright, the city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. Just one passage, look how many times the righteous and the wicked are contrasted and the effect of righteous people on a society and the effect of wicked people on a society. First Peter 3 and 12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. This is a word of God. So throughout the scriptures, the righteous and the wicked are set in sharp contrast against one another. In Malachi, a distinction is made between the righteous and the wicked. It explains what a righteous man is like and what a wicked man is like. Malachi 3.18. Then you shall discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve God. So you could say by Malachi 3.18 and many other passages in the Bible that righteous people serve God and wicked people do not. And the Bible said that God will come and he will make a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. He will draw a line between those who serve God and who do not. So I began to study righteous, wicked in the Bible. And I found that these two words are paired together in verses 74 times in the Bible. And I wanted to read all of them to you today. But then I thought, no. The first occurrence, though, you know, you have this law first mentioned in the Bible. It is when God came to Abraham to share with Abraham his plans to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. God is talking to himself, and he says, I cannot hide what I plan to do in destroying these cities from Abraham. I know the kind of man that Abraham is. So the Lord comes and shares his plan to overthrow the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Genesis 18.23, And Abraham drew near and said to God, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous 
with the wicked. He then says later, that be far from thee after this manner to slay the righteous with the wicked. And that the righteous should be as the wicked that be far from thee shall not the judge of the earth do right. Abraham knew the character of God. And in this first mention of righteous and wicked, Abraham says to God, Lord, I know something of your nature. And I know that you will not destroy the righteous with the wicked. There is only one righteous man in the city of Sodom. His name is Lot. I don't know why he is there. I don't know why he has stayed there. His soul is vexed by the ungodliness of Sodom and Gomorrah, by the perversion of that city. And God leads Lot out. His wife goes out, looks back, and turns to a pillar of salt. He leaves only with his two daughters. His sons-in-law thinks he's joking. They mock him. He has lost his influence by living there. But as he goes out, the fire falls down on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. The apostle Peter, looking back on Sodom and Gomorrah, looking back on how God has judged evil and wickedness throughout history, wrote this, 2 Peter 2. He said, for if God spared not the angels, everybody say angels. angels. So he first talks about angels. God spared not the angels that sin, but cast them down to hell and delivered them in the chains of darkness to be reserved into judgment. And then he gives a second example and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person. Everybody say the flood, flood. a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood upon the ungodly. He gives a third example and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. Everybody say Sodom and Gomorrah. He gives a third example, condemning them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. In other words, in those three examples, the angels, Noah's day, Sodom and Gomorrah, God established a pattern that his mercy lasts for a while. But then sin and unrighteousness demands the judgment of God. He goes on to say, and God delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy behavior of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. So now Peter has talked about the past, but now he gives a verse about the future in 2 Peter 2, 9, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. The Lord wants us to know that there is righteousness and wickedness in the world. There are righteous people and there are wicked people. And God has plans for the righteous and God has plans for the wicked. wicked. Amen? That's why as God's church has been given the ministry of reconciliation. God has placed us in this world to stand between the wicked and ultimate destruction. God has placed us here to call sinners to repentance, to call the world to turn around before the judgments of God fall on them. Amen. The teachings of Jesus teach that there will be reward for the righteous and eternal punishment for the wicked. He talks about that straight gate and narrow way that leads to life. He talks about the wide gate and the broad way that lead to destruction. 
He tells them in the Sermon on the Mount that there will be people in the judgment who will pretend that they knew God because they either perform miraculous deeds or were there when they were performed. And Jesus will say, depart from me, you that work iniquity. In Matthew 25, Jesus talked about the day when the Son of Man would come in his glory and he would judge the nations and he would divide the people of this world like a shepherd divides the sheep from his goats. And he will sit on the throne of his glory and he will say to the right and the left, those that are good and those that are bad. And to those that are wicked, the Lord will say, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. They will go away to everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. Jesus spoke of final judgment in John chapter 5, verse 28. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming and now is, that when that which the, all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. The New Testament epistles echo the teachings of Jesus. The Apostle Paul spoke about the long-suffering and forbearance of God and the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. But then after a while, because of the hardness and impenitent nature of the heart, they as the day of wrath and the righteous judgment of God who will render to each according to his deeds. And those who do not obey but live in unrighteousness they will receive, Paul said, indignation and wrath and tribulation and on every soul of man who does evil. He wrote about this in 2 Thessalonians, that God would come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and who obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. I just want you to see that in the Bible, there are so many examples of the fate of those who are wicked and the reward of those who are righteous. In Revelation 14, they will drink of the wine of the wrath of God. The cup of his indignation, they will be, be tormented with fire and brimstone. The smoke of their torment will ascend up forever and ever. In Psalm chapter 9, the Bible said that God will judge the world in righteousness. And in Acts chapter 17, verse 31, Paul is preaching to pagan people and he speaks now in the culmination of his message that God has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained where he's given him assurance unto all men that he raised him from the dead. When God judges the world, he will not judge the world according to your idea of righteousness or my idea of righteousness. He will not judge you by effort. He will judge you by the standard of the word of God. Amen. You can live in the delusion of doing it your way and having your idea about right and wrong. But when God judges the righteous and the wicked, it will be from the word of God by the standard of the righteousness of God. Amen. Final chapter of the Bible. After all the judgments, after everything has come to pass, the Bible begins to describe for us the final state 
the condition of the righteous and the wicked. Revelation 22, 11. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still or perpetually or forever. And he that is filthy, let him be filthy still, perpetually, forever. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. At the end of all things, after the judgment of God, however you are in that day, you will be forever and ever. The unjust and the filthy will be unjust forever. The righteous and holy will be righteous forever. It is now that today is the day of salvation. It is while you are breathing before God has come to visit this world to take out his church and to pour out judgment on this earth that we have an opportunity to get thoroughly right with God. It is appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment. But today is the day of salvation. You do not have to walk out the door. You do not have to turn off this live stream without being right with God. Apostle Peter and his famous epic sermon on the day of Pentecost. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Amen? We love those verses of Scripture. But then the Apostle Peter gave really the altar call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Untoward means perverse, crooked, unrighteous, wicked. Ultimately, it is up to us to save ourselves from this untoward generation. Jesus said that being saved is so important and so good and that being lost is so bad. He gave some examples of how extreme we should be in our willingness to repent and give up anything that will keep us from heaven. Because whatever it takes, nothing else matters but being saved. Amen. So Jesus gives some examples. He said, if your hand offends you, cut it off. It's better to enter into life heaven maimed than to go into hell with two hands. The fire shall never be quenched. Worm dieth not. The fire is not quenched. He said, if your foot offends you, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to be cast into hell with two feet where the fire is not quenched, where their worm dieth not, and their fire is not quenched. He said, if your eye offends you, this is Mark chapter 9, pluck it out. It is better for you to go into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Jesus is not teaching self-mutilation, but he is talking about 
how important it is for you to be saved because there will be a separation of the righteous and the wicked at the end of the age and it will be forever and ever. So whatever you've got to give up to have a revival of righteousness in your life, you need to let go of it. You need to repent of it. You need to cut it off from your life. You cannot take your sin to hell with you. You cannot take your money to hell with you. You cannot take a wrong relationship to hell with you. And you certainly cannot take it to heaven. So today, I am calling you, I am calling myself to a revival of righteousness. Luke chapter 21, 36, Jesus said, Watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Recently, I spoke to someone about what Jesus said, that if you fall upon this rock, referring to himself, you will be broken. The gospel message is an offensive message. It tells you that you're a sinner and your sins have separated you from God. And the only way you can be saved is to fall on Jesus Christ and be broken. Your will must be broken. You've got to turn from sins and repentance. Jesus said, if you fall on this stone to salvation, you will be broken. But if you do not choose that option, then there's another option Jesus described. On whoever this stone falls on, it will grind him to powder. I choose to fall on Jesus Christ, that my will would be broken, that my way would be changed, that my sins would be forgiven. We need a revival of righteousness. The consequences of wickedness are destroying our nation. Many in our nation have sown to the flesh, and of the flesh they are reaping corruption. They are like those described in Romans 1. They are receiving in their own bodies the, the consequences of immoral behavior. Wickedness invites judgment, but righteousness invites blessing. The Bible is clear. In our text today, in Proverbs 14, 34, that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. In our nation, we need the blessings that come from righteousness. We need the morals in our nation to be lifted by righteous people leading our nation and then the morale of our nation to be lifted by a revival of righteousness. Proverbs 29 and 2 says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. You see, well, whoever is in leadership, the character of those in government those in civil authority, those in spiritual authority, there is a trickle-down effect into a culture. Amen. And our nation is groaning and convulsing under the wickedness that we're experiencing. The prophet Isaiah described backslidden Israel in Isaiah 59 and 14. He said, our courts 
oppose the righteous. And justice is nowhere to be found. Truth stumbles in the streets. And honesty has been outlawed. Yes, truth is gone. And anyone who renounces evil is attacked. The Lord looked and was displeased to find there was no justice. We need justice to be restored in our country through a revival of right living, being right with God. We need a revival of righteousness. In Noah's day, the Bible said that the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. Evidently, 120 years, Noah's building the ark. Noah, a preacher of righteousness. But the Bible said they just kept on in their evil ways, eating and drinking. They kept on. Life went as normal until the day that God shut the door. And then it was too late for his day to get right with God. God waited but then he executed judgment, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Peter talks again about the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, that God turned them into ashes, condemning them with an overthrow, making them an example to those that afterwards should live ungodly. Jude wrote about Sodom and Gomorrah, these cities that gave themselves over to sexual immorality, going after strange flesh, perversion, and set an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. In other words, Sodom and Gomorrah was just a taste of what is to come for wicked people. I am not here today to try to condemn, but just as Jesus came to save, the other side of the coin is that if you reject him, there is nothing left but condemnation. That's why today I am rising to say that we need a revival of righteousness in our country. Here's the reality. If the church is prayerless and ineffective, if our faith is watered down and we've replaced compromise or replaced convictions with compromise, sin will continue to prevail in our country. We'll continue to see woke corporations, entertainers, politicians, many educators normalizing and promoting wickedness. Perverted people will proclaim pride in what the Bible calls shameful. If we are passive, wicked people will continue to change the truth of God into a lie. But God will judge those who partake in sin and those who have pleasure in unrighteousness and pleasure and them that do them. Cultural backlash is powerful, but it is only repentance that brings revival. Recently, there has been a tremendous amount of cultural backlash against morally offensive marketing and behaviors. Corporations have lost tens of billions of dollars because consumers voted with their, their wallets. But it seems to me from what I read that corporate leaders 
have doubled down. And they have reacted like Pharaoh did while plagues were destroying his country. The Bible said that Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let people go. When your heart is hardened, then those kinds of things only make your heart harder. It is my observation that millions and millions of Americans are fed up with the wickedness that is being foisted upon us and our children. No longer are we being asked to tolerate sin. We're being asked to embrace it. I know we love the sinner and hate the sin, but there's righteous and wicked people according to the Bible. We don't hate them, but if we love them, we will call them to repentance and not coddle them in their sin. And it is true. When good people do nothing, then evil triumphs. Many Americans were raised. I know this is not all about America, but this is our country. And Tuesday is Independence Day. Many Americans were raised to recognize and respect righteousness. They may not be apostolic in doctrine, but they were given a foundation a morality, and they were taught a reverence for what is right, for righteousness. So righteous people in our country, apostolic and not, are grieved by the violence, the addiction, the depravity, the hatred, and the family dysfunction in our nature, nation. We feel violated, and we are righteously indignant that our children are being indoctrinated with ideologies that are immoral and evil. While there may be a measure of pushback, it will not be sustained until we return to the righteousness that is in Jesus Christ. It is true that wickedness and wicked people are coming for us and our children. They can call it a bad joke when those who are walking in a pride parade say, we're queer, we're here, and we're coming for your children. But it may not be a joke. In the city of Sodom, when Lot lodged the angels that God had sent, the Bible said that men out of every area of the city, both young and old, they came to Lot's house and they said, where are the men that came to your house tonight? Send the men out to us men so that we will know them. They were coming for those who were innocent and morally pure to defile them. Who can fathom the momentum of the transgender movement. I hate to call it a movement. The number of teenagers and young adults in the United States who identify as transgender have, has doubled in the last five years, according to a new study. 
This reported increase, if accurate, is not the result of biology or nature. It is a conditioning of our culture. It is the undermining of sexuality and gender distinction that is going on in our country. I'm not saying that there is no gender dysphoria, but we can guide adolescents, pubescent young people back to morality, back to God, back to their God-given biological gender. He created them male and female we must reinforce that we need a revival of righteousness who would have believed that in the streets of America this month that there would be a pride parade of new perverts cavorting down the street, performing immoral acts in public, bathing nude in a fountain, showing themselves to children. What in the world were parents doing taking their kids to that? Their glory is in their shame. Trad Queen story hours in public libraries. They say not a religious news outlet, but they say we're, we're reaching for children between the ages of three and seven. What is wrong with parents that they would expose their children to that perversion? Public libraries in our city that prominently display books about same-sex families, about my Maddie, my mom, who is my dad, I feel sorry for those people and those children. I told you that I preach from brokenness and a burden. Amen? Amen? The abortion battle, not settled by Roe v. Wade, but being battled in the streets, being battled in the homes. My body belongs to God. It does not belong to me. I cannot do with my body whatever I choose. I am bought with a price. I made in the image of God. The baby that that woman is carrying isn't made in the image of God. It is not in her discretion to destroy the life that is in her womb. It is not your baby. It is God's baby. You do not have autonomy over your body. against all forms of murder, whatever they are. Rampant violence in our city. When I read the news, like daily, another person in Metro Atlanta, murder, suicide, violence, road rage, unbelievable, unspeakable acts, children abandoned, children murdered, mummified babies found in closets, what in the world? What in the world? I believe that there is probably still a moral majority in America. I can't prove that statistically. But whether it is or not, I know that we see the worst of the worst. Bad news sells. I get all of that. But if it's just one little kid, if it's one innocent person that is murdered by homicide or dies by suicide, dies by overdose, we need a revival of righteousness. This past week, I attended the funeral of a man who died of an overdose. My heart broke for him and for his family living on the streets. What a sad, sad story.
the drug crisis in our nation. We need revival of righteousness. Immorality that is undermining families, fatherless homes, people that live for themselves, not for their families. Liberty is not freedom from the law. It is freedom under the law. Our country is reminiscent of the book of Judges. And there are people who are doing that which is right in their own eyes. The book of Judges describes seven cycles of repeated behavior. Sin results in servitude to enemies. The misery of servitude leads to repentance and sorrow. Israel repents. God raises up a judge, a deliverer, culminating in the salvation from that enemy. Sin, servitude, sorrow, salvation, seven times repeated in cycles in the book of Judges. But relief only lasts for a while because in the book of Judges, it is just true that every man did that which was right in their own eyes. They rejected any objective standard of the Bible of absolute morality, of righteousness and unrighteousness. They had no concept of righteousness and wickedness. Just do whatever you think is right and let it kind of play out from there. That is the story of the book of Judges. The last verse of that book describes where I believe we are in ungodly American lives. In those days, Judges 21-25 says, There was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right. In his own eyes. Like the people of Israel in the times of the judges. We've abdicated the king. We've gotten rid of the king. Not abdicated. We've thrown the king out of our lives. I'm not talking about a president or a prime minister. An absolute monarch. Except the theocracy of almighty God. The king of kings and the lord of lords. Who is not just your savior. He is to be your lord. You submit your life in every area. To his kingship. To his lordship. We desperately need a revival of righteousness. So after all of that, what can we do? We can stand up. And we can speak out for righteousness. We can speak against wickedness when we see it. We can choose how and where we spend our money. We can be more discerning about the entertainment that we allow in our homes and the activities in which we participate. If it smacks of evil, it may seem a little bit gray, but if it is of the world, 1 John 2, I don't have time to go there, not of God, then it has no place in our lives. We can preach, testify of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. We can do that. But ultimately, we must do the most powerful thing possible. We need to repent of our sins. We need to repent of our complacency. And we need to turn to God in prayer. The Bible is clear that we are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We're to put on the whole armor of God that we can stand against the evil one. We are to pray always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, we are to war in the flesh, or in the spirit rather. We walk in the flesh, but we do not war after the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, 
They're mighty through God. The pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Like Peter and John who were warned to not preach about Jesus, they went back and started a prayer meeting and they all lifted up their voice in one accord and they prayed to Almighty God and they said, Lord, behold their threatenings. They didn't pray, Lord, help us not be caught. They didn't say, Lord, help, us, help no one know who we are. They say, Lord, give us boldness. That with all boldness we may preach your word. Back us up, Lord, with signs and wonders and miracles. I've learned that if you will stand for God, then he will stand with you. And if you do not stand for God, you will fall for anything. We need the liberty that only comes through Jesus Christ. Knowing the terror of the Lord of coming judgment. We need to pray for ourselves and our nation. We need to try to lead people to repentance. We need to pray for a revival of righteousness. If we will repent, God will forgive. If we will intercede for our land, God will intervene. Repentance, turning to God alone, will stop the slide towards Sodom. Isaiah 55, 7. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. To our God, for he will abundantly pardon. If there is sin in your life today, why don't you turn to God in repentance? Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso first confesseth, forsaketh his sin shall have mercy and then the verse that cycles around in America and other lands and people get tired of the decline the words that God gave Solomon the Lord said Solomon if I judge the wickedness and sin of this nation and if I bring pestilence and famine and all kinds of consequences on you to chasten you back to God. Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, which are called by my name, not the pagan people, but my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land.